In today's episode, I get to talk to a new friend of mine, and we're going to talk about what it means to face challenges and obstacles in your life and how to overcome them. In addition with that, we're going to talk about the mindset that it takes to have a positive outlook in life. And then is God good even when bad things happen? So you're going to want to stay tuned for this episode. Today on The Whole Person Mindset, I am interviewing Nick Vujicic. He's an Australian-American born without arms or legs who has become a world-renowned speaker, New York Times bestselling author, coach, and entrepreneur. Nick faced a tremendous amount of obstacles in his life, living without limbs, to being bullied at school, and fearful for his future with no purpose in sight. Without hope, his feelings of hopelessness and isolation led him to attempt suicide. Nick prevailed through his life's challenges and discovered key principles that enabled him to find his purpose and turn obstacles into opportunities, making him one of the most sought-after keynote speakers of the world. Millions of people are following him and through his message has found hope and purpose in their own lives. So without any further ado, I want to welcome my new friend to the show, Nick Vujicic. Nick, how are you? I've been doing really good. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Well, Nick, a lot of people don't know this about you, but you are the self-proclaimed undefeated champion in rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) <laughs> look man i i love freaking out kids when they see me for the first time and people are caught off guard with the humor you know it's just to break the ice um something i did as as a kid you know telling kids that you know when they ask me what happened i say cigarettes um many other things hiding in overhead compartments of uh airplanes you know where you'd put the bags up there we put me up there and i love freaking people out and so no it's been um it's definitely been a lot of fun along the way and those kinds of things uh still make me feel young so i'm not saying i'm old i know but feels like i've already lived a full lifetime with everything that's happened um and uh now look it's it's just so cool to be here with you evan evan i remember meeting you face to face not long ago up in Oklahoma. And so thank you so much for your persistence in trying to get me on your show. And I'm just so glad that we could do it. Likewise, likewise. This is, um, Nick has already had this conversation with me already, but for the listeners, Nick, when I first started podcasting, was on my dream 100 list. Like I wrote a hundred people who would be a dream to interview. And he was on that list. And for three years, you know, you, you pursue it. And you know, there's a lot of people that reach out to, to you, Nick. And so for you to be able to answer everyone or even cipher through all those messages, it's just impossible. And it's something that I've prayed for. So for the audience who's listening to this, just know that this interview has been covered in prayer for over three years. And it's been a persistent pursuit on my part to get him on here. And God opened the door. And I'm just so grateful that, that you said yes, man. So thank you. Look, that alone itself should inspire somebody. <laughs> well, you know, I want to jump right into it. You, you talk about in the bio that, that I read, there was this moment in life that you tried to commit suicide. And when I was younger, I did the same thing. Thank God we both had failed attempts. 
So my question to you is this, when you felt hopeless, when you felt uh, purposeless, purpose, purposeless, and you had that failed attempt, after that failed attempt, what happened and what changed in you to not want to do that again and to be full of hope and purpose to move forward? Yeah, look, great question, Evan. Um, despite the fact that I was surrounded in a loving home, um, I, I did feel like hope was not for me. The failed attempt was uh, something that I am so glad to explain that I was trying to drown myself in my bathtub and I decided not to go through with it the third time I rolled over as I'm trying to swallow water, then inhale water because of one simple thought of seeing my mom and my dad crying at my grave, wishing they could have done something more. And so now as a parent myself with four kids, that intentional love um, is so important. And for me, I didn't love my life. I hated my life, Evan. I felt like there was no hope, not much to be thankful for whatsoever. But it was age 13, um, which was the first turning point, where I was playing soccer, hurt my little foot. Uh, I have at the bottom left of my torso, a little appendage uh, about six inches long, two toes. I'm walking, I'm driving my wheelchair, I swim, I golf, I do many things. Um, but it's, it's something that really hit me when I was disabled, <laughs> unable to walk. Um, after spraining my foot playing soccer for three weeks, I was in my bed, staring at the ceiling and realizing, wow, I either can be angry for what I don't have or be thankful for what I do have. And that's when I knew um, I need to have that attitude of gratitude. Mm. Um, and so that was the first point. Second point was the faith, the biggest point of all, where my faith journey began with Jesus when I read John chapter 9 at 15 years old, seeing that Jesus didn't tell the blind man what was about to happen as he put mud on his face. And, and then the blind man saw, he didn't tell the blind man the plan and the blind man could have asked questions. He could have stopped Jesus, but he didn't. And what I realized was I need to have faith like the blind man that despite what I know, despite what I feel, despite what I see, I need to trust that God has a plan. And so more than arms and legs, I needed to be complete. My soul, my spirit, my mind, I needed to be redeemed, yeah. not motivated, not inspired, and not just living a life of purpose. I needed rescuing. Um, and so that began at 15. And then lastly, um, really cool bridge after that was I was age 17 and the janitor of my high school looked at me and he said, you're going to be a speaker. And he arranged my first speech at 17. And that was now uh, 22 years ago. Wow. You know, something that you said really, I don't want to cut me off guard. It, it just, it spoke to me. Two, two things. One is that when you were laying in bed, you decided to be grateful for what you did have versus what you didn't have. And then the other thing too, was that you needed rescuing, that you wanted to be a whole person. And, you know, the identity of my show is called the whole person 
podcast. And one of the main reasons, like I said, you know, uh, that I've been trying to get you is when I look at people who speak, when I look at people who have desired to come on, one of the big things I want is someone who, who embodies the whole person. And from the spiritual mindset, you absolutely have that. And so that was a big reason what drew me to you. And I think why so many other people are drawn to you is because when they look at you, you know, yes, you don't have arms and legs, but you are a great symbolism of what being a whole person is because it's not about the appendages. It's about the heart and the mind. And when I think about your mindset and your upbringing, you know, there's this story that you shared in one of your, um, golly, one of your speeches where in Australia, if you are disabled, you're not allowed to go to public school. Yeah, 1980s. Right. And your mom fought the government and won on your behalf so that you could go to school. And I think about that, about the mindset that your mother had and how a lot of things are, are learned traits from our parents. What was that like growing up with your parents, having that mindset about you and, and your purpose and your faith? How did that get built into you from your relationships with them? Yeah, look, when I asked my parents so many times, like, how did you do it? You raised a limbless child. You fought as a champion for him to trailblaze into mainstream school. My dad was 27 when I was born, and 11 months before I was born, he uh, planted a church with my mom, um, and she was five year, uh, two years younger. And so when I asked them, like, how was that? Their response was, we just did what we knew we could try, and we did our best, and God did the rest. Um, and he did it all. And for me, I'm so thankful that my parents, um, with their very difficult upbringing in former Yugoslavia, where both their fathers were in jail as persecution against them in their faith, uh, doctrine uh, in 1960s former Yugoslavia. Coming to Australia with nothing, they didn't allow their limbless boy to play the victim card. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't pretend that they knew answers when they should not pretend. Um, they never did that. They told me how it was, and they confessed that they don't know what they don't know. But in that, they taught me discipline to, I mean, even little things like I would start vacuuming the floor for $2 a week at six years old. So if I wanted something, I'd have to save up my money, which taught me goal setting, which taught, gave me dignity, which taught me patience, which, which helped me to have a decision-making process of things that I actually worked hard at something and now I get to choose. And then having, you know, humility as well to, to understand it's like, hey, I have no arms and legs, but that's that's no excuse for me not to do something. And um, the way that they brought me up, I mean, I look back and I have to say, I don't appreciate uh, my parents as a child back then as much as I did appreciate them as to now looking back as an adult, plus 
um, you know, having children on my own. The first time I saw my son, my eldest son, the first couple sentences that I was thinking as I looked at him, I was like, whoa, how did my parents do this? This thing called parenting. Um, and I'm thinking, and my son has arms and legs. I mean, like, imagine, you know, for the first time you see your firstborn child, you have no idea that he's going to be born this way. And then you see he has no limbs. And the doctor said, we're so sorry. You, we didn't give you an opportunity to abort. He's not going to uh, have the quality of life. They called me a vegetable. I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to this. I'm not going to that. I'm not going to that. And just the tenacity that really is can only be answered in heaven, the conviction of love for their child and faith in God. And that going hand in hand, that they they had to compromise in their own mind, in their own reframing of their adversity, of their challenges, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Uh, They never said that they struggled spiritually. They never said that they doubted in God spiritually. But obviously in that, um, essence, joy was hard to be found for many months. Peace was very hard to be found for many months. It took many months. And in that process, um, you know, I, I, I just thank God for the parents that he gave me and they give all the glory to God. My dad passed away at 63 in 2017. My mom's still alive. Um, and, and they're, they're champions, man. Like many people say, well, they're my heroes. They're champions um, that, that really were used to show the world that no matter what the enemy tries to, to throw at you or life, who, whoever you are out there in your doctrine, um, that God, as far as we're concerned, can, can really turn it around for good. No one could have ever imagined that any good could come out of a limbless child. No one could have ever imagined that a guy without arms and legs can stand in front of the gates of hell and redirect traffic. Um, it's, it's really beyond us all. And we are, we're people that, that do not take credit. Um, it's all thanks to God. And, and that um, understanding of preparing my parents' heart for the challenges um, that in a way that kind of challenge you can't ever be prepared for in hindsight, we can see indeed that not just did amazing things come out of those difficulties, but as a testimony that when you don't get a miracle, you can still be a miracle. And that's from parent to me, me in life, in anyone in different circumstances where Having a child without limbs is hard to imagine. Having a life without limbs is hard to imagine. But I tell people all the time, I believe it's worse being in a broken home than having no arms and no legs. Um, and so whatever our brokenness is, if we go through what we've, what we've been facing and we get through it, you don't just go through things, you grow through things. And you don't just grow through things to become somebody that you're not today. Yeah. That's the world's definition of success and purposeness and meaning of life and blah, blah. It's all about me. No, when you realize that heaven is real and you can help other people know that money, drugs, sex, alcohol, fame, fortune, um, whatever it is, put your happiness in temporary things, your happiness will be temporary. In the hindsight of heaven and eternity, 
if you in your mere mere uh, 90 year life compared to billions of years as an introduction to heaven can help another soul be redeemed and rescued and complete uh, in finding true purpose, meaning, and hope that lasts eternity. Um, that is the shift uh, that can only happen beginning in faith. So you mentioned through this <laughs> tons of gold, tons of gold nuggets here. You talked about if you don't get a miracle, be a miracle. And then the other thing you talked about with your parents is that there was a season where joy and peace were very hard to come by. And one thing I think that whether we realize it or not, we all starve or desire peace. And a lot of us treat peace as something that is circumstantial, that I have peace if my circumstances are good. But as we know, based off of scripture, that you know, even the disciples who had the physical manifestation of Jesus was not at peace. But when you look at Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego getting ready to be thrown into the fire, they had peace. Both faced death, one with the physical manifestation of Jesus, one without. And what blew me away is that peace for one was circumstantial and peace for the other was not. Peace was trusting in God. So how does someone in their life go from living in a place where there's not a lot of peace to living in a life of peace despite circumstances? Really, it, it is, it's, it's revolutionary when you understand that God can change a circumstance. He can't. Um, he can choose to say no to changing a circumstance. And the epiphany of our relationship with God at this point by us unseen is even upon what we see, upon what we feel, upon what we know, we still trust in him that brings him so much delight in that alone. It is the best way to bring a smile to God's face when he says no or he doesn't say anything to your prayer request and you're still in suffering, yet you're still rejoicing. Why? Because beyond the circumstance, beyond a physical need, beyond any physical miracle, the greatest miracle that we can ever experience is already done and alive when we've believed in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the one who died for our sins, who rose again, who faced the devil face to face and won and conquered death and sin itself. And while his body was in the tomb, he went down to uh, hell, had a speech to hell and took the keys of hell with him, uh, meaning that's the authority over hell. Jesus has that. That eternal perspective, that alone brings God delight. Second of all, 
in circumstances where God doesn't answer and later on you see a miracle. For instance, I have a pair of shoes in my closet, Evan, uh, in case God gives me arms and legs. I daily now pray for arms and legs. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't say that just to say that. I mean it. I do believe. Like I've seen miracles. I've had miracle in my own back. Okay, a circumstance change where medically unexplainably my tethering, hollowing of my spine called the syrinx, which is a, a disease that you can only be born with, where it would leave me with no back by 35 years old, and then they would have to put metal rods in my back, and then I probably wouldn't walk. God healed that in 2014 completely with doctor's letters saying we don't understand medically it's it's actually impossible so can god heal yet yeah. uh, has god healed some yet yeah. has god done miracles for each and every one of us yes we take time to be careful and see it we should be acknowledging him more for what he's already done but the vertical of this to then now switch to a paradigm shift watch this in my Bible reading, I can confidently say that if I was an angel, I too would be jealous about our human experience down here on earth. Because we who don't see him, who don't hear his audible voice, when he says no and we praise him, the angels see the delight of God in our faith believing yet not seeing second of all when he does say yes the joy of when you've prayed for something and it happens like that elation the angels don't get to feel that hmm. because our unseen god has shown his faithfulness like that is awesome and here on earth, thirdly, we've got one life here. You can't turn back time. Meaning every minute, every conversation, every prayer, every podcast counts. That whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever we think, actually affects other people's destination in an eternity, whether hell or heaven. That alone, the angels, like, they, they, they're not on this, this earth here as we are, as God's children that are his hands and feet, the way that we are his hands and feet, empowered with his angels who we summon to help by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit to fight the wars we can't fight, which is the spiritual realm. It's very much of a very wide and broad answer. But that's the full answer to your question, because that's the exciting part of living life. It's not just existing and coexisting and doing good. So then you know you've done good. So then you can be buried knowing that you were good. and People buried you knowing that you were good. Do you know your great grandfather's first name? Nope. Do you even know the names of all your first cousins? I mean, forget about it. It's this ideology of self that is so wrong 
and you don't realize it until you find the truth. Mm. For people who struggle with the identity of, so back in 2013, I had an experience that shifted my life. My wife gave birth to our first child who was a premature stillborn daughter. I remember sitting in the hospital. The nurse comes in. This is seven hours after we've had her body. And the nurse says, Mr. Herman, it's now time for us to take her body. That pain, that desperation, the anxiety, it felt like life itself was being sucked right out of me. Fast forward a few hours at night. I'm laying on the hospital couch. My wife is asleep. And I'm not angry or bitter at God. But I ask him, where's his love in all this? Because I don't see it. And God showed up and he gave me a picture a few hours earlier when I was handing my daughter's body to the nurse. That pain, that desperation, the anxiety, it felt like life itself was being sucked right out of me. The only way I can physically describe it is being held underwater and not being able to breathe. And that was the image when I asked God to show me his love. That's what he showed me. And I said, I don't get this. Why did you show me this? And then he says this, he goes, because that is exactly how I feel. Anytime any of my children live a life without ever knowing my love. And in that moment, I understood God in a way that I could never have understood him. Did God cause that to happen? No. Did God want that to happen? No, that was not his plan or his purpose for her life. But one thing that I realized is because of that, like I still believed God is good no matter what. And I had to rely on that. And without believing that, I didn't get to know the last part that God said was that's how he feels when any of his children live life. So my predisposition that regardless of my circumstance, that God is good. And even when I didn't feel his love, I asked him and he showed up. When people are in critical moments or stages of life where they're desperate for a miracle or where they're desperate for an intervention and they don't feel like God is showing up, what do they do? Because he showed up. Knowing, uh, thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that. Uh, wow. So uh, let that be a testament, first of all, for you in, in God's capability now. Going through what you've been through can also be a miracle for another person out there who um, maybe reacted and will react differently when their child dies, the way that your child died. But you can come alongside and say, I didn't lose my faith in God. Um, I, this is how God slowly healed me and my wife. This is how I now know the goodness of God. And I may not understand. I know that God's plan was fulfilled, a plan that is beyond me. 
because he has full control, he has power to raise people from the dead. But if that's not his will, then let it be his will that they go home. In that, you now can, Evan, more powerfully in God's hand, comfort, strengthen, mental, help, befriend someone who's gone through that for the sake of their soul, that losing a child is more devastating than words can, can express. But that person, that father's soul to be lost in hell because of a child's loss, being his reason as to why he doesn't believe in a God, to then send you to help him understand that God does still have love, a plan, and a purpose even in that. If you went through what you've been through, Evan, to be a miracle for him, um, then praise God um, for that. Um, this earth is the dominion of the roaring lion called Satan, who steals, kills, and destroys, and roars very loud. Um, he, he has his hordes of demons. I've seen them. Um, exorcisms, and I've even seen the special agent of the dark side who was assigned to me. I've seen him. Um, exorcisms, you, you, you name it, I've seen it with my own eyes. When you believe in the spiritual realm and the power of prayer, and you pray without doubt that he hears you, in the times where you think he should be absolutely intervening, and he doesn't, it is first in James 1, a testing of your faith. It's, it's the faith. It's not like he's playing a game, but it's because Evan knows today that even if God allows his child to die, Nick knows today that even if God never gives him arms and legs, or his dad, even if his dad dies of cancer, or even if God even allowed a grenade to come to my house, uh, which it did, um, and all the bad, even if God allowed it, he's still my rock and fortress, upon which I stand upon and hold on to undeniably. Because my circumstance doesn't change my God, nor his faithfulness, nor his love for me, nor does my righteousness change what his thoughts are for me. Yeah. We are not a people that should be comfortable with unrighteousness. We are to hunger, strive, read the word, pray every day, study the Bible, um, fasting every month. That's what I do. We need to be engaged in God's mission and purpose in our life to, quote, unquote, love our neighbor as ourselves. which means if they're in a prison of fear, anxiety, depression, and self, or this or that, and you have the key called the kingdom of heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ to so let them know that what they really are looking for is Jesus Christ, if you're engaged in that, then you are, in fact, then a living sacrifice. If you really believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you're a citizen of heaven passing through, 
First of all, I want you to know that God is with you. Second of all, God's love hasn't changed. He's going to carry you through seasons you cannot walk. Uh, you may not know the answers, thirdly, of why he didn't say yes to your prayer. Um, but the fourth thing is, is will you continue to believe that Jesus is Lord? Uh, Lord of all to the point where there will be one day as you finish the process of emotional, mental healing through that, whatever it is, that you can eventually come to terms with accepting what God hasn't changed. He may not have given my parents a limbless boy. That was from the enemy. The enemy is the person with death on his lips and his hands and his fingertips. God is life. And in death, though, itself, um, we go home. In suffering, we depend on him more. In times where we have no idea where he's at, please, please understand, there's desperate times. Do four things. Tell someone and tell them to pray for you. There'll be times where you can't pray for yourself. Um, number two, forcefully put on an audio version of the scripture being read and worship music. Feed your spirit the only thing that could ever help you to have faith. When you can, start listening to the word if you can't physically open the book. Put praise and worship on if you can't utter anything out of your mouth. The third thing is write out a list of things that you're still thankful for. And you might find that you need to talk to someone, a counselor. Um, that's the last thing. Fourth, talk to a professional counselor. God uses dentists for my teeth. I went through counseling, Evan, myself in January 2021. And uh, I'm the evangelist and the speaker that talks about hope and faith. We all need help sometimes. Yeah. We all go through valleys sometimes. Um, and so those would be the four practical things I would leave people with on that question. Nick, thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people follow you? Hmm. Um, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram. I think I'm going to be stepping off soon anyway. Um, but um, people can follow me on social media. Our ministry is unbelievable. It's all glory to God. Uh, we preach the gospel to 9.6 million people face to face, of which 1.1 million gave their life to Jesus Christ. And I've met 24 presidents and being on TV digitally, preaching the gospel to 733 million people. It's a staff of 12. It's called Life Without Limbs. In 2022, we're doing monthly campaigns. We talked about in January, human trafficking. February is the unborn. Uh, March is for the disabled. Um, and so check out the ministry, Life Without Limbs. Anything and everything else, um, those things are coming up. There's three companies that I'm doing a startup with, ProLifeBank.com. You can check that website up. Um, I got kicked out of a bank, Evan. Um, 
first-hand cancel culture experience. For, for being um, pro-life, you got canceled from your own bank. I got canceled from my own bank, and all they said is we found out basically who you are and did a review of who you are as a customer. We don't want anything to do with you. And that was during the time where someone asked me, would you consider being a co-founder of a bank that actually doesn't philanthropically give to Planned Parenthood? Most banks, Evan, give to fund the death camps of abortion clinics in America. Good chance that your listeners' bank actually does as well. And so Pro-Life Bank is going to be, um, we're going to be a bank for everyone, but how we steward our profits will only go to Judeo-Christian-aligned nonprofit organizations, so ProLifeBank.com. Then there's some other things that's going to come down the line. Um, Central Hub right now, it's... Um, it's it's in the works, but you you'll find me new if you follow me on social media, you'll see exactly what's going on along the way. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on and hope you have a great day. Evan, thank you so much.